0: Happy Memorial Day. You're listening to Equip, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today we're going to continue our series in Colossians from Colossians chapter 3. This message is entitled, Dead Men Walking. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. Continue talking about Christ being above all. Today we're going to continue in Colossians chapter 3. Last week we finished off Colossians chapter 2, but today we're going to reread that and we're going to go to Colossians 1 through 17. It's a lot, but really I think it's, it's encapsulated in, in one central thought dying and living. And that's really what the holiday tomorrow is about those who sacrifice their life for us so that we may have freedoms to, to live abundantly here in America be remiss if I didn't mention the holiday coming up, because a lot of us, a lot of people in my generation and younger, don't really understand uh, about Memorial Day. And it really, it kind of goes hand in hand with the message this morning. I think God's sovereign timing just works it out so well. You know, since America came to be, since the American Revolutionary War, there's been over 1.3 million soldiers killed to give us our freedoms, 1.3 million. And there's been all kinds of battles throughout history, but as I was preparing this this week and thinking about this week, perhaps it's because of the time of year, but my mind goes to World War II, to one of the bloodiest battles in, in our history, in world history. It was on June 6, 1944, 79 years ago day that became known or is known as as D-Day, a day that our troops stormed the beaches of Normandy, and if y'all have seen the movies or or been to the World War II Museum in New Orleans, y'all know what occurred. It was just a bloody, bloody massacre. I watched a video on the History Channel of a young man, or an old man now, he was a teenager then, 18 years old, and he was on one of those boats that went into Omaha Beach and on Omaha Beach alone, Americans lost 2,000 soldiers. And Frank, his name was Frank DeVita, he shared the story. He was on that, that boat, and his job was to let down the gate that let the soldiers out onto the beach. And Frank says in that day, on June 6th, on that morning, as they were approaching the beach, Frank heard... Just kept slamming, kept slamming that that steel door, and Frank knew he knew that as soon as he let that door down, the bullets would come through, and he knew these men in the boat with him, most eighteen to maybe twenty-one years of age, they would be dead. They were dead men walking, and Frank froze. And his commander, who was in the back of the boat, cursed at him and said, "Frank, you've got to let it down." So Frank let it down. And in Frank's word, he said instantaneously, seven to ten guys fell as if a man cutting down a wheat field. He was in tears sharing about that. And I think about that and I can't imagine the emotions these young men must have went through with the cannon fire and the gunfire feeling as a dead man walking. That applies to, to us today in the passage today because that is largely what, what Paul talks about to this Colossian church. He reminds them that, that they have died. And not only have they died, they are, they are to continue dying day by day. The new life that Christ offers us. This message, I would entitle it today, Dead Man Walking. So let's read Colossians 1 through 17 this morning. And notice all the references he mentions about death and about life. He says, like we read off last week, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above not things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore put to death, kill, Your members, which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12 Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts and to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's a pretty straightforward passage, but there are some pretty deep truths in here. How can we live and die at the same time, for instance? Or uh, how, how how are we to do these things? It almost seems impossible when you consider some of the things he tells the Colossians to do. And I want to walk through the text this morning. Hopefully it won't take too long. there's a lot in here I know. but here's the first truth I want you to all understand this morning as Christians, as Christians, the old man is dead, the new man lives forever. as Christians, the old man's dead, the old man lives forever. he says it so perfectly for you have died, you died and your life is hidden with Christ. Paul wanted these Colossians. To know that they had died a very real spiritual death. And they had been reborn. And he also wanted them to know that this new man, this new creature would live forever. And church, I just want to tell you, I wanted to start from, from verses 1 and 2, even though we read it last week. Because we're, we're commanded to set our mind on things above. And I want to tell you, it's so much easier to set your mind on things above when you realize that. That is where we will be forever and always. First Thessalonians 417, Paul said, we shall be with the Lord always. If we had died, we have become a new creature and that's where we are going to be always. Now, of course, on this journey to where we're going to be forever and always, we've got to deal with temporal and we've got to deal with earthly things. But as born-again Christians, our eternal lives don't begin the day our flesh dies. It begins the instant we're born again. For this reason, our, our minds should be thinking primarily about the eternal, not the temporal. For those men in that boat with Frank DeVita that morning, for those men, even though they may have been 18 years old, for those men that had put their trust in Jesus Christ, they didn't die on D-Day. They died sometime before, and they're living on today. I want to tell you, church, you're looking at a dead man walking today. I've already died. I'm walking. I'm living. I'm going forward. I'm just waiting for my flesh to catch up with my spirit. And it sounds like such a morbid thing to talk about. We've gotten kind of comfortable talking about it, but I wonder about the Colossians reading this. It sounds morbid. But let me remind you, everyone in this place today, everybody, if Christ doesn't come first, is going to die. But not everyone. But not everyone is going to live. It's better to lose your life willingly, to lay it down willingly and live forever, Than to have it taken from you and be separated from Christ forever. The truth is, we're living in dying bodies. Whether you are a believer, you're an atheist, you're a Muslim, wherever you are, we are all dead men walking. As Christians, we're living in dying bodies, waiting for a perfect eternity. So, besides setting our mind on things above, how do we live as dead men walking? And some of the verses we're about to read, we see that Paul tells them how they're to live as dead men walking. And this is truth number two. We are to embrace what the Bible calls sanctification. We're to embrace it. You see, once somebody has laid down that old life, once somebody has been born again, once somebody has been saved, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit and immediately that Holy Spirit begins making you into His image. Into Christ's image. We call this process sanctification. It's inevitable. This is how and why the Bible and Jesus says that you'll know them by their fruits, because fruits are going to come. And it may sound like a weird thing for a preacher to say, but what I've learned is that once a person's born again, once a person is saved, you don't really need a preacher. Or teacher to to tell you what's right or what's wrong anymore because now you've got the Holy Spirit taking charge and you have a new type of conviction that you didn't have before. I remember very very clearly, even as a young man giving my heart to Jesus, I remember walking with my friends and we went in a store and all of a sudden I didn't have a parent with me, I didn't have a preacher with me, I don't even know if I had Christian friends with me, but instantly I had a conviction that, hey, I'm not supposed to be in a place like this. I've heard stories from men that that gave their life to Christ and they said quite freely that they didn't need a preacher to tell them that they shouldn't be taking part in the bottle anymore because now they knew the Holy Spirit does this for us. But this is what I found. As human beings, this dying flesh, we can either fight the Holy Spirit in His work or we can embrace it. And I believe this is why Paul tells them to make the conscious decision In verse 5, to put to death, put to death what's earthly in you, the English Standard Version says. Put to death your members which are on the earth. You've got to put to death these things. Yes, you've died, but you're going and you're growing towards Christ and you've got to make the decision. It says in verse 5, to put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. And then he lists some things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Christians, as as born-again believers, we must make the decision to say no to what the world embraces. These things he lists here in verse 5 are things that your flesh is just naturally going to desire after. I'll tell you, for for 99% of, of young men and young women, God has designed you in a way to desire after relationships, physical relationships with the opposite sex. That's not a bad thing. God's made you that way and He's made you that way for a reason. But you've got to make the decision that that desire is only to be fulfilled within the biblical confines of a biblical marriage. And the other things he lists here as well, evil desires, idolatry, things that your flesh uh, just goes after on its own. You've got to make the decision every single day, maybe every single hour, to kill it. No, I'm not going to do that because I know what Christ has done for me. The objection to this that we hear today sometimes, well, Brother Kevin, God made me and God made my desires. So why not why not just embrace my wants and desires? Did God make a mistake making me this way? I was made this way. Well, Paul answers this objection, I think, in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of, which of, of disobedience. And he says, in which, you yourselves also, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. These things what the Bible calls sin, these are the things that Christ died for. These are the things that kept your old self in bondage. And these things are the reason that the wrath of Almighty God is coming. And church, as a born-again believer, we don't want to embrace the thing God hates. That's a horrible idea. Well, I'm a good man, Brother Kevin. I'm faithful to my wife. I don't worship idols. I read my Bible every day. And Paul goes even a little step further. Saying in verse 8, he says, But now you must put them all away. Put off all of these, the New King James Version says. And he lists things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, filthy language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. If you look at this list, this list is a thing's, that our culture thinks of as normal, ordinary, everyday life anger, wrath, malice, obscene talk, but they have no place in the life of a Christian. Paul says to just kill it all. But, Brother Kevin, you say that we're saved by grace and not of works. Is this really important? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? And to that, I would say yes, it is that important. Not for salvation's sake, but for sanctification's sake. It's what James says in James four eighteen. Someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Our church is Christians. We're not working for our salvation. We're working because of our salvation. I want to look like and represent Jesus Christ in the best way possible. And I'm not going to delight. And I certainly don't want to delight in the things that he died for. There are things as a believer that that Paul is here that quite plainly, quite frankly, we are called not to do. There are things that we have to kill every single day. But there's also some things that we're called as Christians to do, to pick up. And that's what the rest of this passage deals with as well. Because you see, if we stopped right here, and it's tempting to do that. If we stopped right here, we could fulfill all this in a very simple way. We could all become as monks and we could move to the mountains. If it were me, I'd go to Alaska, one of my favorite places. And I'd lock myself in my cabin. Maybe I'd go hunting or fishing and nobody would ever hear me talk filthy. I would never uh, embrace impure sexual desires. I'd never have to worry about any of that. But we're not called to be monks. We're called to go out into the world. And he tells us to put on the new man. In verse 12, but why do we put on the new man? And I think there's a verse in here that I think it's very, very important that we realize, and it's verse 11. This is what he says He says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. The truth number three is that we put on the new man. And we live above and beyond what is expected. And why do we do this? Because we know that Christ died for all. If we were to make our own list today in 2023, I might would include, hey, remember that Christ died for those that stand for the flag and those that kneel for the flag. Christ died for the black and Christ died for the white. Christ died for the Democrat and Christ died for the Republican and Christ died for the American and Christ died for the Nazis. So we've got to make the decision to show the whole world, not just those in our inner circle. We've got to make the decision to go out and show the whole world what Christ looks like. We've got to be ambassadors first and foremost, even above America to Christ Jesus. So how do we do this? What are we to do? How do we put on to show the lost? To show the world Jesus. And, and Paul just, after he tells them to put to death everything, he gives them such a beautiful picture of things to put on every day. He says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, as the elect of God. You're born again. You've killed the old man. You've started a new life. Now let's put on some things and let's get to work. The New King James Version says, put on tender mercies. I think it's the English Standard version that says, compassionate hearts. He says, put on some compassion, guys. Jesus looked at the crowds and he says that he had compassion. Being compassionate means that we're an advocate instead of an adversary. That means we look at somebody that's lost and we don't look at them with hate. We don't look at them with disrespect. We look at somebody that needs Jesus. We have compassionate hearts. And compassionate hearts leads to the next thing, kindness. Oh, man, we're about to enter an election season and just mark it down. You're about to see a lot of good Christian people totally forget to put on any kind of kindness at all. And I don't care whether it's a Republican or Democrat. I don't care whether it's a president or a pastor. As a Christian, we're called to put on kindness. Kindness. Being kind and tenderhearted to those we agree with, but also to those that we don't agree with. Another word for this virtue is civility. I don't know where civility went in American culture, but look, we need to bring it back. Put it on. It's something that's not natural for your flesh, so it's something that you've got to make a decision to say, hey, nothing in me wants to be kind. Nothing in me wants to be civil, but I know know that I can do this, so I'm going to put it on. Going right down the list. Part of this, one of the ways that we can do this is by putting on the virtue of humility. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. These things that we're putting on, we're not doing these things to get noticed. We're not doing these things to make a name for ourselves. We're doing these things because we have what we do not deserve. We have a salvation that we don't deserve. So we humbly put on these things and we put on humility itself. And instead of expecting to be served by everybody else, we are a servant as Jesus was a servant. Paul says to put on meekness and and patience, meekness and long-suffering. Something that I struggle with. People think I'm a patient guy, but my my fuse may be long, but when it's up, it's up. But I'll tell you, church, We're to be patient. We patiently work and we patiently wait for our Savior to come and we will appear with Him in glory. Put on some patience. Know that God's working it all out for good. Verse 13, Paul says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Oh, church, how sad is it that so many Christians... Even church-going Christians would hold on to something like unforgiveness, would hold on to resentment, usually over the silliest things. I could guarantee you, probably here in this place this morning, probably somebody watching online, probably somebody listening to the podcast, is holding on to something that happened 5, 10, 15 years ago, and you're refusing to let it go. And Paul is telling these Colossians, and he's telling us through the Holy Spirit, that, hey, it's time to let it go. Christ forgave you, so it's time that you forgive that person. And by the way, Christ forgave you when you didn't deserve it. So even if you're right and that person was wrong, even if they don't deserve forgiveness, even if they deserve condemnation, even if they deserve resentment, Paul says and Jesus says, you must forgive. This church, this country, it will never look like Jesus. It will never be growing if we refuse to forgive and move on. And that sounds like such an impossible thing to do. It it sounds easy, but we know it's hard. If you've ever been wronged, it's easy to forgive the stranger, but when it's somebody close to you, it's really hard. So how do we do this? And I think it's almost like Paul even knew it was coming. How do we do any of this? And I think verse 14 just answers it all. How How do we kill the things and how do we embrace the things? Paul says, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. English Standard Version says, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Church, can I just tell you this morning, if you would put on love, if you would wake up in the morning, if you would leave this church today and you would put on love, everything else that Paul's listed would just fall in place so naturally. If you love Christ like Christ loves us, well, let me tell you something. You ain't going to have to worry about sexual impurity. You're not going to have to worry about wrath. You're not going to have to worry about filthy language. Because you love Him so much, everything you do, you're going to put to death anything that would bring shame on His name if you loved the the lost, if you loved the enemies like Christ called us to do, well, let me tell you, you're going to have compassion. You're going to have uh, humility. You're going to have meekness. You're going to have patience because you've got love. And if you love the church, if you love your brothers and your sisters in Christ, like Christ loved the church and gave His life for the church to present her blameless, without spot or without wrinkle, well, let me tell you, this whole forgiveness issue and resentment issue and about what we're to read, a unity issue, that's all going to fall in place. Love conquers all. Put on love. If you don't put on anything else today, put on love and the rest and the rest will fall in place. Verse 15, Paul says, if I could find it, verse 15, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace, you put on love, you kill the old things, you put on the new things, you put on love, and let me tell you something, the peace of Christ will rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. It's a plea for unity. In almost all of Paul's letters, you see hope, joy, and love, and you see a plea for unity. Paul wants the Colossian church. To strive for unity. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That can't come if you don't. Put to death old things. And put on the new things. And he says to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5 says. In all things to give thanks. One of the things we're doing. Today, tomorrow after the service. We're giving thanks for. For. The soldiers who gave their life for us. And we it's a good thing to do that. We should do that. We should also give thanks to to those that, that have have served. We should give thanks to Christ. We should give thanks for salvation. And all things give thanks. We've got so much to be thankful for. Verse sixteen, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord whatever you do, well, wait for a second. Let's stop for verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Church, can you do that? Can you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? A lot of us can't do that because we don't know the Word. Get in the Word and let it dwell in you you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, then you can teach each other. You can admonish one another. You can actually sing the Psalms that, that are in the Old Testament. You can pray the Psalms. You can sing these hymns with deep theological meaning about what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and what Christ is going to do. And man, we'll have a thankfulness in our hearts that, that just abounds and shows the barbarian, the slave, the free, the republican, the democrat what Jesus looks like. And finally, he says in verse 17, Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, Paul wants to be sure to tell them that wherever they're going, whatever they do, whether they're meeting in the Lord's house on the Lord's day, Whether they are a teacher, whether they are a student, whether they are a dad, whether they are a mom, whether they are a child, whether they are a brother, whether they are a sister, whether they have a good boss, a bad boss. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Take the name of Jesus with you. Take take Jesus with you. Take the Word with you. Kill the old things. Put on the new things. That's how we're to live as dead men walking. So I was thinking about this this week. Here's the truth, church. We're all dead men walking. Some of us in here, and I hope this is the case. Some of us have put to death the old man. And we're walking in the newness of life day by day. And we are so ready for Jesus and his appearing. And we're looking forward to eternity. That's a good way to be a dead man walking. That's the way we're encouraged to live. That's what Paul tells us to do. But some, some in this place maybe, or some on the podcast or watching the video, some are dead in their sins. Some have no hope and are participating in these sinful things that God hates trying to bring life and trying to bring hope to a dying and hopeless course, corpse. I just want you to know, church, only Christ can make a dead man live. Only Christ can fill in the gap. We go back to the World War II example. You know, 20 years ago, when Brother Lloyd was here. Brother Lloyd could have mentioned World War I, but you know what? There's, there's no more World War I veterans alive today. They've all passed on. Today, I read the World War II vets. There was something like 70 million. And now there's less than 140,000. And it's projected in 10 years, there'll be less than 2,000. They're all dead men walking. And we're all dead men walking. Christ is going to come for us all. So it's time that we... Either make the decision to willingly lay down our life and live for Jesus. Or you make the decision to just continue on like you you are and never have any hope, never have any life. Thank you for listening today. I hope you understood the message. I hope you know a way you can apply the message. I hope you'll remember that as a Christian, the old man is dead and the new man lives forever. I hope you'll embrace what the Bible calls sanctification. And I hope that you'll put on the new man daily, living above and beyond what is expected. I hope you all have a happy Memorial Day. And I hope you'll come visit us at First Baptist Drive Prong. We worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Have a great week.